How's it going, John? Doing fine. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. It's been a few days, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, I think about almost three weeks since we first recorded that. Three uh, weeks last since episode. we last recorded, and about four days since we last worked together, or something. Yeah, something For those like that. Of you who don't know, we're also coworkers. Yeah, we've we've uh, known each other our whole life. We've uh, been working together how long? At least past year, maybe a little bit year, longer. Almost now. a year and a half. Yeah, now. Almost a year and a half now. But uh, I guess uh, we'll, we'll kind of start off. Uh, I think we want to reintroduce ourselves and uh, kind of what and why is the guillotine party. What, what kind of what our goals are and stuff. So uh, uh, for those of you that didn't listen to our first episode, I'm Trevor, and uh, I'm here with my buddy John. What's up? And uh, we we've uh, kind of been talking about almost like what starting a political party kind of as a joke just, just like, like shooting as, as we're shooting the shit because we talk about politics all the time and uh, we've always had the same opinions regarding things and we just thought that it'd be cool if other people heard what we had to say i mean everyone these days is making podcasts and we thought shit why not us yeah and it's like we we don't have the uh, time or energy to actually start a political party and i don't think either one of us has a desire to run for office but you know what we can we can start a podcast and uh kind of I also wanted to talk about uh, some of our goals on the podcast, kind of where we want to see it go. Uh, I started a Twitter account. I've kind of mostly handed that over to John. I'm sure if you guys follow us, you've probably seen me tweet a few times, but uh, I'm mostly giving that John. He's kind of the Twitter expert out of the boat. Right, I've kind of delved full head on first into left Twitter, and you know, I've just tried to been you know swimming through, looking at which sources I really like, which uh, people I think are funny and say a lot of truth. I try to stay away from identity stuff and try to focus more on economic, working class. Uh, socialism more than anything else. I don't really focus on the impeachment or what's going on with the Democratic primaries to some extent, but yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you've been doing a great job with the Twitter. I think I've been on there uh, off and on, but um, for the most part, I've been letting you do that. And uh, uh, our Twitter, if you do not follow it already, it's at Guillotine Pod. So definitely check that out. Give us a follow. And uh, we'll we'll tweet there anytime we have a new episode, and we also just retweet stuff from like I know you shared a lot of stuff from like Jacobin and uh, certain political candidates. We've been retweeting them. Yeah, kind of especially commenting a lot, on a lot of uh, candidates in Texas since that's where we live. I've been uh, sharing about Heidi Sloan, uh, who's running for uh, the House Democratic primary uh, in District 25, I believe, as well as uh, Sama Hernandez, who's running for the Democratic primary uh, in the U.S. Senate, and who, if given the nomination, will face John Cornyn in the general. Um, she is also a part of the Rose Caucus, a fairly fo- uh, newly formed socialist caucus within the Democratic primary, where all are uh, identifying themselves as socialists, democratic socialists. They're all endorsed Bernie Sanders for president. And I'm really excited to see how far this caucus can go and grow. Yeah, and so uh, along with our Twitter, we also... Uh if you listen to our first episode, uh, we we have it uh, distributed into multiple platforms. Now, we did originally just put it on SoundCloud, and after I uploaded it, I realized that that probably isn't going to work because you kind of you have an upload limit on SoundCloud. The uh, new distributor I'm using is uh, called Anchor. So Anchor, uh, that's kind of, uh, I put it on Twitter, it's like our website. You can go there, and it shows all of our uh, platforms that we are on now. So we are now on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and then uh, we got Breaker, 
Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public. We have uh, Stitcher, and then I think there's one more also that we're still waiting for it to distribute to. Some of these things kind of take a while. But uh, all those listed above, when as soon as this is released, it's going to be released to all of those at the same time. And uh, we'll definitely tweet that out whenever the uh, episodes go live. And um, we also kind of wanted to talk about before we kind of dive into uh, what's going on the past three weeks since we last recorded uh, some possible future ideas. I know we've talked about uh, after the uh, podcast grows a little bit, probably doing a Patreon and maybe having some sponsors. I do kind of prefer the uh, Patreon because uh, I know a lot of people listen to podcasts hate the constant ad breaks and stuff. We may or may not do like one or two sponsors max. Of course, before we even do that, we're not even to a point where we could like monetize this and make a. How about it, guys? How about we do a poll? Should we get sponsors or not? Yeah, we can do. We can do a poll. I think what we'll do is uh, once we get our listenership up a little bit, uh, we will uh, kind of see where you guys uh are at what, what you guys want to see so i'm I think, personally skeptical myself as to whether they're a good idea but hey if they get us on the ground running i'm okay with it right and if we i do, just don't want to be a hypocrite exactly <laughs> and if it's not, it's not like we're going to do like ed pills or whatever we're going to do stuff that like we actually believe and i know like anchor it makes it really easy to uh add sponsorships and the only one really available to us right now since our listenership is Basically, I think our last episode we had like four listens out of, I forget which uh, platforms that was on, but uh, as we grow, I do want to, I think, prioritize Patreon so that way you guys can, if you want to, uh, kind of give us a certain amount of money per episode as a donation, and we'll, we'll, we will have benefits. Uh, we'll probably uh, give some shout-outs. I think what I want to do, too, is... Uh, we've talked about having guests and not just having guests like in person like we've talked about uh john's brother is really into movies and stuff haven't come on talk about movies probably for like bonus episodes and whatnot which is a thing we're going to start doing uh with this episode uh we're going to do only like current events sort of stuff and then we're going to release a bonus episode within the next few days where we talk about all of our off-topic music movies wrestling all that sort of stuff but um we also want to do have guests that we can uh, Skype call or whatever. Yeah, have that. Absolutely. I still need to figure out how to do that. I'm very new to Audacity and the uh, software, hardware, all the all the different buttons I need to click. I'm still figuring out which ones I need to click. But uh, even having like Twitter followers, if you guys uh, like the podcast and you uh, are kind of like minded. Uh, We'd love to have you guys on, and that could be even a thing for uh, Patreons or patron pa- Patreon patrons in the future, where uh, if you get a certain tier of uh, patronship, I don't know what to call it, we can uh, have you guys on as guests. I think that'd be pretty fun, and uh, also maybe do uh, a Twitch stream and start putting like video podcasts on YouTube and whatnot. But uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Goals or? Um, Possible ideas for the future before we dive into current events? Well, the only goals I have for this podcast and for the guillotine party as a whole is to just influence as many listeners as we can and hopefully usher in a whole new electorate within the next few years. I mean, I know that Jacobin Magazine has been doing a great job, as has Chapo Trap House. You know, I just hope to be uh, one of those uh, next few guys to kind of carry it onward, you right. know? And I think I think one of the things we uh, we like about, like, uh, Bernie's campaign and stuff is very great 
grassroots. I feel like our podcast can be almost a grassroots movement. That'd be kind of something to strive for. You know, it's something exactly. Everyone can dream. I don't yeah, want to say like it's out of our ambitions or whatever, but you know, you never know. Uh, so you, I guess you want to dive into. I think we're gonna start off. Uh, John, you had a study on uh, right, so, the minimum wage. Right, so Democracy Now!, they shared a study, uh, and what the title of it was called Raising the Minimum Wage by $1 Could Prevent Thousands of Yearly Suicides. And it, within the article itself and within the study, it said a raise of $2 could have saved 60,000 lives between 1990 and 2015. I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. $1 could save thousands of yearly suicides and just two dollars over sixty thousand within 25 years it really goes to show how many people are living paycheck to paycheck and for how long i mean yeah we've had minimum wage laws forever they've changed you know little as of recently but it seems like they've never actually fit their goal of what they they were set up to do was to let people survive on the lowest income possible and people aren't surviving off it even if they can make ends meet they still can't afford health care they are working so many hours to make ends meet a lot of them are depressed i mean i i feel like within this 21st century the year 2020 now we could work lower hours within the week I think it was John Maynard Keynes who said uh, we should be at a 15-hour work week by the end of the 20th century, and we're 20, 20 years into the 21st century, and nothing seems to have changed too much. Right, and it's, uh, I mean, how long has it been since the minimum wage has been raised? I believe uh, a little 19... over a decade now. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not a living wage, and that just goes to show everything else has been rising and i hate the common critique you hear oh well if we raise the minimum wage then the price of living will go up it's like the price of living has been going up the minimum wage hasn't like i i don't know how these people can't be waking up to this there's record number young people millennials like ourselves who are not doing as well as our own parents were when they were our age Right, and that's kind of a thing, too. You hear uh, parents talking about they want, uh, like, a better future for their kids and stuff. And then uh, go around and turn turn around and elect people that uh, don't really care about the next generations. They, all they really care about is uh, profit. Well, to be fair, the lesser of two evils is a thing because it is a lesser of two evils. I mean, even if you, the lesser of two evils wins, not much is going to change. If anything, we just avoided the worst possible outcome. So there's a lot of disillusionment going around. And uh, going back to this uh, minimum wage study, what I really want to focus on is union membership because there is a correlation of the past decades that as union membership has declined so has so have wages and i feel like this once again shows that unions do have the working class interests at heart genuine unions like the industrial workers of the world um and very radical uh i feel like you know there are many different unions that aren't so good that get the general stereotypes that you see in mob movies or whatnot but i feel like the actual legitimate working class um unions like the iww the wobblies i feel like that is what we need 
need to strive for. And it's really good to see that the DSA's membership has been going up. Hopefully the Wobblies can see a comeback as well. Um, but anyway, I'm kind of going off topic. But what I wanted to say was with the correlation between union decline, union membership declining and wage declining, and with Bernie Sanders having his uh, workplace democracy platform being released, it does show that he wants to double union membership by the end of his first term and get rid of right to work uh, law states. I feel like that is something that is long overdue. Yeah, and like you said, uh, there's a lot of stereotypes like you see in mob movies and stuff, and unions have been sort of demonized as like uh, almost like terrorist organizations, if you ask some people. Well, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved in there, because if we go back to 2015-2016, uh, most of the AFL-CIO's uh, union members voted uh, in their poll or whatever. They voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary, in the Democratic primary, but it was the heads, the tops of the AFL. CIO that still said, now nah, we're going to endorse uh, Hillary Clinton. I mean, again, I feel like if it was a legit working class union, the voices of the working class would have been, you know, heard and not ignored. Right. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, there, there are reasons, there are other stereotypes, but it, it's, uh, like you said, good unions do exist. Like, say that again. Good unions do exist. It's not always right. Absolutely, and I feel like this correlation shows it. It shows that as wages decline with union membership, that you know bosses don't have your best interest at heart, but you know unions do. Absolutely, and like, uh, have you seen? I actually watched a documentary on Netflix. They had uh, called American Factory. It's. Uh, have you heard of it or seen it? I have not. It's uh, basically a uh, an American uh, an American factory as the name applies. It's a. Uh, uh, I think it was a GM factory in. Uh, in Ohio. I don't remember exactly where in Ohio it was, but uh, it shut down, I think, after 2008, all that. Not a good time for car companies, and they ended up shutting down the factory. A lot of, a lot of people work, lost their jobs, and uh, a couple years later, I don't remember the exact year, a Chinese company came in and bought the factory, and they're going to reopen it, and they made uh, automotive glass. So it's basically all the windows and stuff that go into your cars, and uh, the whole documentary, it's its really good. It's kind of one of those where it doesn't really take sides. It just kind of sh presents the facts to you. And, and like, they, they, talk, they basically, like, talk to people. They had uh, the Chinese company brought in workers from China to kind of... Uh, teach the uh, American workers how their company was ran and you have all these Chinese kind of standards for how a factory should be run and then also American workers that are used to lunch breaks and being able to go to the bathroom and you know like just talking and shooting the shit with their co-workers and the Chinese people, I, I, there was one line one of the Chinese workers that came over they said Americans, uh, they have fat fingers and they talk too much and uh, it's, it's really interesting because they um, they tried to unionize and they had people come in that they paid uh, large sums of money I don't remember the exact amount so I don't want to say if it was thousands I don't, it, might, it might have been even a million but they had people come in and uh, sit down with people in the break rooms and basically tell them uh, you guys are trying to unionize and this is why unions are bad if you uh, unionize all these bad things are going to happen and they'd have the interpreters come in and tell the same thing with the Chinese people and 
I don't want to spoil anything for you, but uh, it kind of goes into the process of how they voted whether to unionize or not, and the dynamics between Chinese workers and American workers. And uh, it's uh, definitely, uh, I definitely recommend it. Definitely check that out. Sounds interesting. It kind of reminds me in the same vein of like uh, Roger and me. That's the one Michael Moore film I have not seen, and it's his first movie. Um, but it deals a lot with uh, Michigan, where he's from, and right. about uh, this power plant that was closed down. And it's about how it was closed down to be shipped overseas for cheap labor, and uh, about all that. I haven't seen it, so I can't be too knowledgeable and speak on it. But it's something that I've wanted to watch for a long time. I've just never had the yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look into that too. I didn't. I haven't even heard of that. I've only. I think I've seen Bowling for Columbine and what was the Fahrenheit uh, 9/11. I haven't seen Fahrenheit 11/9 yet. I, I saw that in theaters and uh, I was like one of only two or three in the whole theater to see it. Um, really? How yeah. would you rank it amongst his? Uh, other I, I thought it was one of his best movies. Um, I really enjoyed Bowling for Columbine. I loved Fahrenheit 9/11. I loved Sicko. Uh, capitalism love story I love the content the execution the final product it wasn't one of his best I haven't seen a few others I take that back Roger Roger and me is not the only one I haven't seen I also haven't seen uh, where to invade next and this other Trump movie he did before the election that I heard wasn't that good but Fahrenheit 11.9 was really good it was one of his best that I had seen and it features interviews with Bernie Sanders AOC Rashida Tlaib uh, even Rich Richard Ojeda, for those of you who don't know, was in West Virginia, a populist Democrat uh, who's running for Senate now in 2020. Uh, did you have anything else you want to talk about the uh, minimum wage sort of stuff before we move on to our uh, next topic you had? Oh, no, folks. It just gets worse from here. Let's go into the next topic. Oh, yeah, this is probably the... We're going to get real pessimistic for a little bit with this uh, next, next kind of two topics that go hand in hand. Yeah, that would be uh, the hottest year, 2019. It was the hottest year for our world's oceans. That was a study published in the journal Advances in Atmospheric Sciences. And I saw it from Democracy Now! Uh, yeah, this is a trend. It seems like each year it gets hotter and hotter. It sets records. I mean, and now we see Australia literally on fire just after California. It's, I mean, it's getting really hard to ignore, and somehow people are finding a way to just kind of glance over it. Well, it's funny when you look at climate denialism, how it's evolved, because when you and I were growing up, we heard a lot from the right, oh, it just doesn't exist. It, nothing's happening. Now it's changed it's oh well yeah okay it's happening but what can we do about it i mean it's still a form of climate denialism and in fact it's kind of sad to see a view on climate change being dominated by polarized politics usually those on the right don't believe it or see it as a big deal while those on the left see it as very urgent and i mean science speaks one way folks i mean the fact is Wow. The fact is, wealth inequality is something that is easier to be polarized about than global warming. Right. And you, it's like, yeah, it's getting to the point where you can't ignore the facts. But this also goes hand in hand with our uh, 
topic on the doomsday clock, which has been set to 100 seconds, which is the closest it has ever been since it was set up. Uh, before this, the closest it had been was 2 minutes, 120 seconds, and that was both during the height of the Cold War in the 50s, and then uh, I believe it was 2018 uh, with Donald Trump. It, they actually didn't say he was the cause for it being 2 minutes. They just said that uh, the things that he had done, like in regards to the Iran nuke deal and to pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord, uh, we would see bigger problems. And specifically with to, uh, this year setting it to 100 seconds, this goes to nuclear war. They mentioned nuclear war a lot within their report. Uh, the International Committee of the Red Cross released a report that uh, said 16, this was a study done from 16,000 millennials from 16 different countries and territories. But more than half of us world millennials fear a nuclear attack this decade. Jeez, was, you said more than half of millennials? World millennials. More than half of the world's wow. millennials fear nuclear attack this decade. What do you think? Well, you... I mean, it's not just our generation. Like I said, it was also the people who uh, do the doomsday clock, the fact that they've talked about nuclear war and tensions and conflict going on. And I mean, it was with the Soleimani killing uh, that Trump did at the beginning of this year. And then, uh, you know, a year and a half ago now, or two years ago, whatever it was, when he nixed the Iran deal, that again is just opening the floodgates. The Republican Party is essentially pushing us to the precipice. Yeah, and uh, when when was it the uh, was the Doomsday Clock was introduced during the Cold War, right? Or was it around before that? I want to say it was late '40s, early '50s. In uh, it's it's like it's kind of own independent organization, right? Well, I believe it's like a collective of physicists. physicists. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a hundred seconds. Is that like a? Do we count Mississippi's? <laughs> One hundred Mississippi. Ninety nine Mississippi. I mean, uh, how crazy is that though? The closest we've ever been to. Midnight. And we're witnessing it in our lifetime. It's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, when we were just talking about global warming, the fact is, uh, people keep saying, "Oh, well, it won't happen until twenty years, thirty years." It's like, no, it's happening right now. The crisis, the world is literally on fire right now. We are seeing it happen. It seems like there every other day there's some report of wildlife or people being killed due to wildfires or whatever I mean and then of course the oceans with the glaciers melting uh, I, I said this to my brother the other day we were driving from uh, Austin and I said how come in the year 2020 we're still consuming fossil fuels for energy? That that seems bizarre and wild. You, right. If you would talk to someone 40 years ago, I'm sure they would have said, oh, 40 years, we will fix Everything that. be electric, running yeah. on water. I mean, again, it just shows how far behind America is with the rest of the world. Not that the rest of the world is perfect, but still, we could learn a lot. Right. And like, uh, I actually read something, uh, Disney uh, back in the early days of Disney World, Disneyland, they have, you know, they have the monorail. What is it? Disneyland in Florida? Disney World in California? Uh, I wouldn't even know where to begin to tell Whichever. you. F Florida Disney Place, uh, they have the monorail. They offered to build one in California, similar, like an, uh, an electric monorail would be like public transit and stuff. And uh, a bunch of uh, executives 
for corporations like oil corporations, uh, car manufacturers. They uh, actively lobbied the, the like city and the states governments to not go through with the plan because they meant, they knew that meant that less people would be buying their cars and buying oil. Yeah, it's all for money. In fact, I took an environmental science class a semester or two ago, and one thing I learned was that, uh, you know how, like, on a good day in today's world, a car that takes regular gasoline can get, what, 20, 25 miles to the gallon? Yeah, and, like, uh, a lot of that, too, has to do with uh, safety regulations, too, because back in the day, like, say, in the 90s, they had Honda Civics, not even hybrid, they would get, like, 50 miles per gallon. That's cars were so light. Now you have these safety regulations, the cars are heavier, you have the uh, crumple zone, and all the, the reinforced frames and stuff. Right. Going back to the 50s, though, if you took your truck to a mechanic who knew what he was doing and he could fix it for you to where your truck could uh, drive on 50 miles per gallon. Really? Yeah, back then. But uh, now with cars being computerized, if a mechanic messes with it, it'll know. And then if you try to sell it years down the road, someone can take a look and say, well, I refuse to sell this car. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of times they'll, uh, they'll have uh, real sketchy warranties where it's like if you modify your car in this way or whatever your warranty is void and i mean you're not going to buy a say thirty thousand dollar car and say you yeah, know i want to i want my gas to be a little bit cheaper i'm gonna try and run it i know there's uh, certain cars you can do like e85 conversion cars that don't run an e85 i don't know if that's something that would uh, void warranties but just stuff like that where you can modify your car and they'll say yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna take it back or that's gonna if if something goes wrong with your car you're liable for that. That's not covered on your warranty anymore. And not even uh, with fossil fuels, but other sources of energy. Uh, well, with regular gasoline, it says usually 10% ethanol, and ethanol is made from corn. So we're using resources that could be you know, used for food, for energy. Uh, thank God I have a diesel, because that's not the case with my car. <laughs> Yeah, do you have any uh, any more uh, sort of pessimistic stuff before we start getting into uh, some election news? Well, um, just one other thing. This I actually saw from The Guardian, and it was a study that says half, it was from the Pew Research Center, half of Americans don't know that six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Uh, according to the Pew Research Center's uh, study, 45% were correct when answering six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust only 45%. The next highest number was 29%, and that went to not sure or no answer. Next was 12% equally for both 3 million and more than 12 million. And then 2% for less than 1 million. So yeah, like it was all over the board, but only 45% of respondents were correct in answering that 6 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. And this is Americans, folks. That's embarrassing and shameful. Right, I mean... Uh We've kind of talked about it not on the podcast or anything. You see uh, people walking around and marching with uh, Nazi flags and stuff, and it's kind of goes to show people have forgotten like what that means, like what happened. Like actually, within this article, and I wrote it down on my uh, notes here that some people believe that there's a link, a correlation, once again, between uh, Americans being ignorant of the Holocaust and how many were killed, and the rise in anti-Semitism, the rise in anti-Semitic uh, anti-Semitic. 
attacks, um, terrorist attacks, essentially. Uh, many people believe that there's a link. And honestly, how could there not be? I feel like uh, there's such a generational shift from the generation that lived during World War II to now that a lot of those living have forgotten what fascism and Nazism looked like in practice. And it's like a, like, I mean, what could you like even attribute that to like poor education people being miseducated and stuff i mean there's a lot of stuff that goes into it but surely we're not doing a good job of educating people if they don't know like major things that have happened in our history within the past century right i mean a lot of us adults now uh were born in the same century that's an important point to make i mean it's not too old if you think about it this is like during the lives of our grandparents this wasn't so far back no not at all i mean and i feel like this once again shows that knowledge and education is power because when you don't know your history you're bound to make the same mistakes and we're seeing this happening now i mean obviously donald trump is not a fascist but there's a lot of tendencies within the alt-right movement that rhyme with fascism i just like i've said diet fascist I don't even know if I would say that. It's really, it's definitely white nativism, but to go so far to say fascist, I mean, the only two fascists I feel that are uh, in world politics that are leaders right now would be uh, Modi in India and Bolsonaro in Brazil. Other than that, there's definitely a lot of right-wing authoritarians, nationalists. I mean, you have Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, Netanyahu, Le Pen in France. I mean, it goes goes on where would you put a uh, boris johnson is he just a uh, an idiot oh god um, <laughs> do, you, do you see him ushering in a uh, a possible uh, fascism down the line for no. the uk i mean again there are a lot of british uh, right wingers that are fascists that have been supporting boris johnson a lot like in america with donald trump but i feel like both of these leaders are so incompetent that if there is some type of fascist movement it's down in the future it's not with these yahoos <laughs> Yeah, could they uh, have the uh, intellect to actually get it done? Probably not. No, not at all. All right, you want to move on to uh, some election sort of stuff? All right, yeah, let's get a little more optimistic here. All right, so, yeah, we I actually have uh, some primary polls. I have a national poll that I want to go with you about. We'll get to that later, though. We'll talk with... Uh, We've had another another one bites the dust. Uh, Cory Booker dropped out. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Cory Booker. Well, uh, who's his girlfriend, Rosario Dawson? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She can go to Bernie in the public now. Yeah, well, like, I mean, she endorsed them in 2016. She's been a big Bernie supporter. Yeah, that must have been awkward sex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there there were some talks. This is what worries me. I I hope maybe she can. Talk to Corey. Be like, Corey, listen, Bernie's a great guy. We need to endorse him. Talk about the fact that uh, the majority of black college students support Bernie. And, I mean, just kind of, we need to reach beyond and destroy this myth of the Bernie bro. You right, know? he's the most diverse base out of any candidate. In fact, white far. men, I would say, are the minority of his base. We're in the minority of his base. This is a complete reversal of 2016, which was still diverse. But you look at his campaign now. Even it's managed by people of color and uh women right you got nina turner aoc you got the squad endorsed him they've been uh, campaigning with him and stuff uh but the the one thing that worries me though is uh i think it was a couple days before cory booker dropped out 
Elizabeth Warren, she either tweeted something or put something on Facebook somewhere saying she has uh, big uh, endorsement news coming soon. So do you think that might be Cory Booker? Does that kind of... I mean, it could be. I'm not ruling it out of the realm of possibility, but I also saw an article, I didn't read it, but I believe it was from the New York Times that was talking about how Kamala Harris was weighing whether to endorse Joe Biden or not. Oh, no. I know. Well, I mean, it's not surpri- it's not surprising. Yeah, they're just kind of falling in line with the with the party. I mean, that's what they are. They've all pretty much been establishment hacks their entire careers, and they might talk progressive, but then when that one genuine bona fide socialist comes out saying, "Hey, let's actually get Medicare for all. Let's actually pass a, a Green New Deal," they say they'll repeat the rhetoric. But then when it comes to walk the walk, they back away. Oh, yeah, been, it's too radical. The, the Democrats have been criticized for being spineless and ballless for decades and it just shows with these moves that all of them except bernie who's an independent which is appealing to a lot of voters in america you know that draws them in right and uh i guess we can also talk about uh as far as endorsements go uh bernie had some uh he had a pretty pretty big endorsement not necessarily a politician they also had a uh uh, another person, I guess, what would you call it? Do the opposite of endorse him. <laughs> yeah, so what he's talking about, folks, is Joe Rogan, who came out uh, in, a, in one of his podcast episodes and said, quote, I think I'll probably vote for Bernie, end quote. So that's not too much of an endorsement, but he is aware of how the primaries work and picking a nominee against Donald Trump. And he lent his support, uh, more or less speaking, to Bernie. Sanders, which we should all view as a positive, namely because Joe Rogan hosts one of the most popular podcasts in the world. He has a huge fan base. Many people listen to him. They care what he has to say. He and a holds, lot of young people, too. He holds a lot of influence with young people, with white people, with males, with non-voters, with independents, with so many people within uh, that are up for grabs this election. Do, and then we see a lot of, you know, quote-unquote, woke Twitter left social justice warriors coming out and saying, oh, uh, you know, Joe Rogan has said this in the past. He's done that in the past. I mean, we can act like he doesn't exist or we can acknowledge how influential his voice will be and make sure that he doesn't fall in the hands of Donald Trump, because if he ends up endorsing Donald Trump, if we get rid of him, because he's not going to endorse any of the other Democrats, any that have a chance of... He could endorse Andrew Yang or Tulsi Gabbard, but they don't have a shot of getting the nomination he won't endorse warren hell no i mean he's not going to endorse any others so if he doesn't get if we don't get him for bernie he's probably going to go to trump or third party and we can't afford to do that in 2020 i don't think he'll go out and actually endorse trump i think he'll kind of just say i'm not going to endorse anybody he won't endorse anybody but if we get rid of him from the bernie train he could closetly vote for trump yeah, and I could see that happening. He has a lot of guests that are pro-Trump themselves that could just convince him if we get rid of him. We cannot toss him under the bus. This holds a lot of influence. We should welcome him with open arms while still keeping a critical eye on what he said in the past. I mean, this whole cancel culture thing, this will be the death of the left. This is why a lot of people hate the left. We, As Emma Vigilant from the uh, Young Turks says, we used to talk, the, the left used to talk about freedom of speech like we were 
proud of it. We used to defend the right to say what you want, and now, oh, if you don't say what you want, if we, if you don't say what we like, we're going to shun you for the rest of your life. And you know that's just so unempathetic because the next day after you cancel someone, you don't think about them. You just move on to the next person. Like right. people just look for things to be outraged about when in fact there's poverty, there's people without health care, the world is on fire, like all these things to get really pissed off about. And people are looking at things that are in the bigger picture. I don't want to say they're not important, but they'll be resolved first. All right, it's like I think if you if you were to ask the average like right leaning American uh, voter what are their say top three things they like dislike the most about the left they would say that they're too PC and talk about safe too intolerant which is rich but still let's not feed that. But yeah, uh, I guess we'll go into. Uh, Hillary Clinton's not-so-nice words about Bernie. What'd she say? Nobody likes Bernie? Was that her the Yeah, quote? nobody likes Nobody him. likes Bernie. And what was that? She has a, a Hulu miniseries documentary coming out? Yeah, I out. believe so on Hulu, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, why? Who would watch that other than her cultists? And many people like to talk about the Bernie bro myth. Hillary Clinton's fans are cultists. I what, mean, what would we call that group of people? What was their name? Hillbots. <laughs> Hillbots. I like that. Yeah, I mean, that's what left Twitter calls them, but it's... It's, it's a thing. Like, they're just as bad as MAGA cultists. I mean, Bernie's fans are not as crazy as Hillary Clinton's fans. I and that's, mean, that, I mean, that just goes to show a lot of our problems with, uh, like, the two-party system and stuff. It's just the blue team versus the red team. That's why they have cultist followers. Yeah, I mean, you look at the party with the first letter at the end of the name, and that's all you have to see. You're like, oh, well, there's my teammate. It yep. doesn't really matter what they have to say, though. All right, so uh, I guess we'll go into some more election source stuff. We, uh, what was it, on the 14th was the uh, Iowa debate. We actually got together and watched it together, drank some beers, had a good time. Yeah, it was pretty fun as far as debates can go, just, you know, kind of bullshitting the whole thing. <laughs> I'll say the nicest thing I have to say about that debate is that uh, six people on the stage is much better than 20, or however many people yeah. we've had in previous debates. Uh, Still a little however, bit too big, though. Yeah, let's get it down to three or four. That'd be nice. But uh, CNN. Yeah, it was an absolute shameful performance on their the part. The moment where they asked Bernie, did you say this? He says, no. They go to Warren, what were your thoughts when Bernie said this to you? It's like... I liked that Bernie has such integrity that he just managed to laugh at them because if I were him, oh, I would have unloaded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just watching it pissed me off, like... Yeah, that that does kind of go to show his composure. Well, he's been dealing with bullshit his whole political life, his whole political career. They've smeared him. They've thrown shit at him. But he's survived. He's prevailed. And, you know, we barely, we, we barely lost 2015, 2016 race. We did get a lot of gains from it, but he knew he wasn't going to win then. We were just trying to shift the conversation. But now we actually have a chance to gain power. And that's what we need to do. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. Yeah, and uh, going back to CNN, uh, hashtag, I don't know if you saw, hashtag CNN is trash was trending after that. That was. Uh, and going back to Joe Rogan, this is probably why people are making a big deal of Joe Rogan's endorsement when it really, at the end of the day, isn't news. And it's because Joe Rogan has more influence over people than either CNN or the New York Times with their double stupid.
stupid endorsement of Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. Why would who who endorsed Klobuchar? No, the New York Times endorsed two. They endorsed Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. Why? Just because they're women? Is that why? Do you think that's why more identity? No, politics? no. I read the whole article, and their reasoning behind it was they said that there were uh, three worldviews dominating American politics today. One was the Trumpian Republican way, and then the other two were uh, pretty much an ideological rift within the Democratic Party. The centrist and the, the progressive, progressive or what they labeled the realist and radical and <laughs> if you if you want to endorse a radical candidate why wouldn't they endorse Bernie uh, that's not it's not surprising that the New York Times which is an establishment institution wouldn't endorse him I knew they wouldn't I knew there was a zero percent chance he was going to be endorsed by the New York Times so they chose Warren to be their progressive candidate and with Amy Klobuchar they said because Biden was too old and he mm-hmm. should hand the torch to a younger generation than with Bloomberg, they did say, oh yeah, we've endorsed Bloomberg in the past before, uh, but uh, he avoided our interview process, which he did. He didn't show up for the interviews. He's not doing time. interviews. He's, he's not, not doing debates. debates. No, he's just paying he wants millions to, dollars for ads. No, he wants to buy his way into it. Uh, it's obvious. I mean, so they, they didn't even choose one. They just chose two because like neoliberal corporatism among Democrats, they're spineless and ballless, which they've been facing these criticisms for decades, and it just comes to show you can bring up numerous examples even the new york times can't pick one candidate it's like what and uh did they say anything about b Buttigieg? why they didn't endorse him because he he kind of he's kind of been one of the more centrist sort of uh, i think a lot of what they said was because he was young and didn't have too much experience and that he's only been mayor of what's it south bend yeah south bend yeah and so they wanted him to like probably work his way up to house then to senate and then maybe presidency in the future but they said it was essentially too early or or here's here's a theory maybe they're homophobic in 2020 <laughs> get real i i would uh, new I'm york saying the new york times is homophobic but it's a possibility let's get out there hashtag homophobic new york times <laughs> so uh well i guess let's uh talk about the uh you know talk about primaries we got Iowa coming up, I guess it's two weeks from today, not even, we got... Oh, yeah, less than two weeks. A week, just over a week and a half away on uh, February 3rd, and then uh, we have February 11th is New Hampshire, South Carolina, February 29th, and then after that, on March 3rd, we got all the uh, Super Tuesday states. Yep, and we're among them, Texas, that's where we're from and where we live. Yeah, Super Tuesday is, uh, what do we got, 14 states, Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, uh, the great state of Texas, uh, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. And uh, I actually have some polls. Let me uh, pull these up. I have uh, a few from, uh, obviously, we got Iowa. I'm sure, I think I think we retweeted that. Yeah, the, the Iowa poll that came out recently. I think we might have retweeted the California poll that came right, out recently. Right, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to do these uh, not in order of when they came out. I'm going to do them in order of uh, which primaries are first. So first up, we got the Iowa poll. Uh, this is from January 22nd, so two days ago. Uh, Bernie is uh, at 20%, up 5 since November. Warren's at 17. She's up 1. Pete uh, dropped 9 to 16%. And then Biden has stayed even since uh, November at 15. So five points since 
two months ago since November. Yeah, quite a surge. I mean, while everyone else is dropping, I mean, Elizabeth Warren didn't do herself any favor when she was surging back in October and then stepped back from Medicare for all, thinking it would be a good idea, probably because some advisor was whispering in her ear about it. But people like consistency and people are tired of not having health care. I mean, Bernie's consistent with it. I mean, he tells you what he thinks, even if it's not popular, like any strategist will tell you, hey, don't say we're going to raise taxes. And Bernie's out there saying, yeah, your taxes will go up, but hey, we'll get rid of deductibles, premiums, co-pays. Like, and people love that shit. They love honesty. Right. And uh, yeah, like it just goes, Bernie's a straight shooter and that's why he's surging right now. And uh, this is probably, yeah, this is the, the biggest gain. Uh, the next second state to have their primaries, New Hampshire. This is... Uh, uh, their primary is on the 11th of February. This poll is from uh, yesterday, actually. It uh, Bernie is by far in the lead in New Hampshire. He is a uh, 29%. He's up 14 since December. One month, he's gone up 14 percentage points. That's like uh, Biden only has 14%. He's down three. So Pete, uh, he's at 17% down one. Warren, uh, she actually gained one. She's still only at 13%. But since December, a 14% jump, that's, I mean, it's basically doubled his supporters in, uh, in New Hampshire in a month. Right, yeah. I mean, people love him in New Hampshire. He won New Hampshire in 2016 against Hillary Clinton. He barely lost Iowa. Like, that was just such a slim loss right Like, there. if he can... I, I think New Hampshire is kind of a gimme for him. I, I feel like I'm pretty confident Betting saying odds. that Bernie will win New Hampshire. If he can win Iowa, start off with the first two primaries... That's what the betting odds are saying, that he has a 67% chance of winning Iowa, and they're saying that that's the, what to make of it. Yeah, and uh, so we got uh, one of the Super Tuesday states. I didn't have uh, a lot of polls from everything, but one of the Super Tuesday states, this is a poll from the uh, 14th of January. Uh, another huge gain for Bernie. Bernie's up at 27%, up 10 points uh, from November. And then uh, Biden at 24, Warren at 23. Neither one of them have uh, moved since November in that poll. Man, I mean, it probably wasn't in Warren's best intention to do that whole thing. I know I said I wouldn't talk about it, and I'm not going to. I'm just saying the polls reflect. You guys know what we're talking about. We've, we, I think we need to move past it. Knows. We need unity. I know that sounds like such bullshit, but guys, we really do need it. Warren is not Hillary Clinton. I'll just say that much. And then we got a, uh, a Wisconsin poll. This was actually, uh, there's a poll. They, they polled four different states. It was Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, the Ohio, and Michigan. Yeah. So uh, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania. I think uh, Bernie was in second behind Biden. It was pretty close. But Wisconsin, Bernie was actually leading. So we're, we're talking about good news here. We're just going to, we're going to talk about Wisconsin for the sake of, uh, being optimistic uh their primaries uh april 7th this poll is from the 22nd bernie has uh 28 percent biden 22 percent and warren 15 percent this uh the people that did this poll they didn't have any previous polls in those states so i don't have any uh kind of direct comparison to where they were a month or two ago but uh the three polls that were released before this from uh december and january Every single one of them, Biden was at about 23% and Bernie was at about 20%. So, I mean, every poll, the way they conduct it, they have different uh, kind of people that they 
pole and stuff. But uh, they're the two front runners, essentially. One of those two guys is going to be the Democratic nominee. I mean, and, you know, either one of them could beat Donald Trump. Either one of them could lose to Donald Trump. But I feel like the, bay is, the bet is safe. If Bernie is the nominee, he could more than likely beat Donald Trump. With Biden as a nominee, he would more likely lose. I mean, he's just not an exciting candidate. I, in fact, I shared a tweet on our Twitter that uh, said if Biden, it was from Eli Valley, the artist Eli Valley, throwing him some love out there. But he said that if Joe Biden, who's anti-weed, gets the nomination, all Donald Trump has to do is pivot to federal legalization and he'd roughly win 48 states. And I remember tweeting it and I just said, just watch. Uh, that's all I have to say. Uh, just watch. It'll happen if Biden is the nominee. He will not budge on the war on drugs. Or if he does, he has a record that'll be completely opposite. He may lie about it like he's doing with Iraq, but the record's right. there. And yeah, it's uh, and obviously Trump's a liar. We've it's, he lies like he breathes. I mean, he he could say that. It doesn't mean he's going to do it. But all he has to do is say it and get a ton of support just from that one issue. But uh, our last poll before we get to the the national poll that I have is a uh, New Mexico poll. This is the, actually the first poll done in New Mexico. Uh, their primary is one of the last ones. It's not until uh, June second. This poll is from uh, January seventh. Bernie at 28%, Biden at uh, 27%, so neck and neck right in the lead, Yang at 10% in third place, and Warren at 8 Hmm, that is actually really interesting. If only it actually, you know, mattered because right. Yang's not going to be the nominee. Uh, yeah, that was actually, I think, the only poll that I've seen recently that uh, had Yang anywhere near, like, Warren Buttigieg. I don't, I don't remember what Buttigieg was. I think he was... He, he was he was single digits, so lower than Warren, so under eight percent. It's kind of doesn't matter, right? Uh, and then the uh, national poll. I think I think you might have seen this. This is a CNN uh, poll. Uh, obviously, we talked about hashtag CNN is trash. Uh, also, five thirty eight. I know you don't like five thirty eight. Their their polls. They I, I like going to them for the po basically their polls, and that's it because they put everything all together. It's easy to find, and. Uh, CNN is rated A slash B on 538, and this poll had uh, Bernie at 27%, up 7 since November, Biden at 24%, down 2, Warren at 14%, also down 2% since November. And uh, I think that was the first national poll that we've had Bernie leading so far this year, going up 7 Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew this would happen because look at when he announced his campaign in February of 2019. But like by the end of the week, he already had a million donations. I mean, he the, his campaign from 2015 never really ended. He even has the same campaign logo. It's the same campaign. It's the same message. It's the same means. It's the same everything. The only difference is we're much closer this time. We just need to finish what we started right and so uh i guess i guess before we finish talking about the polls i do want to talk about uh kind of 538's average of all the polls uh so that poll came out uh, i think on the 23rd so i went uh for the this was yesterday on the 23rd i looked at their average for uh the uh, all the polls averaged together they had uh biden in the lead still 26.6 bernie at 20.4 warren at 15.8 then i went back to uh, i just did october 1st i figure that's about three months well i guess almost four months now uh 
Biden at 26.9, Warren was in second, then at 20.9, and Bernie at 16. So even though uh, Bernie, if you take an average of all the national polls, he's still second place. He's still got a little bit of work to do. The momentum he's, is there. Yeah, the momentum is there. That, and I think that's a, that can be a big takeaway, even though he's only leading in one poll. It's the same with Donald Trump. Going up 14, going up 10. It's the same with Donald Trump in 2015, 2016. He was always either consistently one or two. And people tried to say, oh, well, he's an outsider. Look at this, look at that, and everything. But he had the momentum. He had the large crowds. He had the, like, he had everything, the money. I mean, it's history repeating itself. It looks like Bernie Sanders is Donald Trump of 2020 in terms of primary races. Elizabeth Warren is Ted Cruz, and Joe Biden is Jeb Bush. (laughs) Please clap. Oh, did you see uh, Buttigieg had one of those? Really? Please clap moments. Yeah. I mean, he has been falling, you know. And right. polls. So, so I guess uh, we do. We do want to talk some about some politics across the pond. We did uh, kind of have some sad news. Our our, our last episode about uh, our comrade Jeremy Corbyn didn't have the greatest result in their election. But, uh, Unfortunately, missed opportunity. Uh, John, I'll, 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 I think you follow the politics of the UK. I'll kind of let you talk about this a bit. Yeah. Well, I won't go too deep into it. But uh, the UK and uh, the Labour Party in the UK, they're having a pretty much a leadership and a, a deputy leadership election going on to determine who is going to lead the party in a new election within four or five years, whenever it is. And there are many candidates. Uh, for the deputy leadership, I'm looking at Angela Rayner, and for the leadership, I'm looking at Rebecca Long-Bailey, who, these two women, they're young, uh, they represent a lot of working-class constituents, and they represent a lot of the same socialism that Jeremy Corbyn has fought for his entire political career and I believe that with these two ladies leading the party against that albino ape Boris Johnson hopefully within a few years we can gain power right and it's it seems like uh, we talk about a lot and the in the states people talk about like identity politics and stuff like the first right. blank president we want to be the first blank senator all this stuff uh, I don't feel like that's the case with those two I feel like they actually have Right, yeah, they're young women, but they, yeah, they have platforms. Absolutely, like I say, I feel like they are the closest in vain to what Jeremy Corbyn tried to accomplish, and he wanted to reinvigorate socialism within the Labor Party, and these two young women are the ones to carry on. Yeah, I I guess we can say... uh Obviously, we can't phone the UK, but we wish them the best of luck. Yeah, and international solidarity is key. Absolutely. And uh, I guess uh, I think we have one last topic, what we're going to do this week. We're, we're splitting up our uh, main sort of uh, political talk and stuff uh, on uh just have it be its own episode and then we're gonna also talk about some off-topic stuff but that'll be a separate bonus episode that we're gonna upload to spotify and everything else that'll be a, a separate episode so if that's all you guys care about is the political stuff you don't even have to bother with listening to us talk about ufc and wrestling and music, music and stuff. yeah we we do have uh, our last topic that we're going to talk about we are going to talk about music but this is a uh, Kind of, it's uh, relevant to what relevant, we do as yeah. Guillotine Party. So, uh, the this new album came out. What day did it come out? I think it came out. Man, I don't have the date. I think it was uh, last Friday, so a week ago. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, last Friday it came out on the 
What day was that? The 17th. Uh, AJJ. They were formerly known as Andrew Jackson Jihad, and they changed their name to AJJ. Most of their fans called them that anyway. And uh, I was never a huge fan of this band. I had known of them. I had a good friend in high school, and he he was a huge fan of them. They were one of his favorite bands. And uh, this album was released, and uh, I saw it, and I was like, you know what? I'll check it out, because I I did remember whenever I did listen to them, I enjoyed it. And... uh, this album was probably their most political album they've done and uh they did a reddit ama that was one of the reasons why i saw it on r slash indie heads uh somebody asked them what made you decide to go balls deep on the political songs on this album they said there was no other way to meaningful meaningfully proceed without first addressing post 26 in america i hope to move on to other songwriting topics now and uh, let's yeah, a big theme, a recurring theme of this album. I listened to it earlier today because I saw you made the tweet and I thought I need to come into this podcast prepared. Well, I listened to the album and a recurring theme that I caught on to was about how we're in the post-information age. And right. that rung so true to me because so many people today believe in such bullshit they think such bullshit and it's like you just have to do a simple google search to show that you're wrong like they even said maybe the last golden age of anything i know it's it's crazy one of my i think my favorite song other than uh mega guillotine 2020 because that's you know spreading our message you know bring back those guillotines folks uh other than that i would say my favorite song was normalization blues because it was real bluesy i like to play blues i like to listen to blues and uh, the dark comedic the dark comedic uh, um, content in the song it was also it was re- I really enjoyed it that's all I can say yeah uh, so I, I did have something from their uh, bandcamp page that I found uh, their uh, their singer Sean he uh, he wrote this he said uh, Ben and I have pieced together an album that is reflective of our times it's pessimistic and sad with small pockets of love and grace it's bitter and funny and scary like a scroll through your endless feed showing you everything all at once uh, whether you are prepared to see it or not I don't particularly and particularly enjoy writing topical political songs but I have no control over what I write we can only hope that this material be dated next year and AJJ can move on to worthier subjects I really hate explaining myself but it, since I think it's important I'll make the theme of this album explicit basic human connection is the path to our collective return to sanity we're very proud of this one and hope you enjoy it and that pretty much sums up the album that's a, that's a nice pretty way of, yeah absolutely uh, what did you think of the song uh, Psychic Warfare? Did you like that one? There wasn't really any song or track on there that I didn't like. Yeah, Psychic Warfare, uh, for those of you guys who haven't listened to the album yet, the basic gist of it, uh, what is the line? Uh, uh, this is Psychic Warfare, I'm going to murder you with my brain. Somebody on Reddit had a good comment. They said, uh, did Marianne Williamson ghostwrite Psychic Warfare? Oh, we miss you, Marianne. Yeah. Where's uh, those orbs, by the way? Yeah, orbs 2020. Uh-huh. How about orbs as mega guillotines running, mate? For Marianne's endorsement of Bernie, whenever that happens, she needs to give him an orb, and then he will be unstoppable. But uh, I did, uh, if you guys, for those of us that, for, for those of you that do follow us on Twitter, uh, I tweeted uh, Mega Guillotine 2020, and uh, AJJ, they actually were 
so kind to uh, retweet it. So we actually got a, a bunch of uh, likes and a couple of retweets on that, and that was pretty cool. But uh, by far our most popular tweet. <laughs> oh yeah, by far. I looked at the impressions, and it was in the thousands. So I'm like, for people to actually kind of see us, that was that was pretty big for me. I like, uh, kind of made my day. But uh, hey, hey JJ, if you need openers for your on tour. Just call it your I boys. I don't know, man. I might get stage fright. <laughs> They're actually going to be in uh, Texas uh, next week. I think... Uh, Wouldn't it be cool if we got to interview them? Yeah, I actually messaged them. I said, uh, tomorrow night they're in El Paso. And then uh, I think next week they're in Dallas. And then the next night they're in Austin. I'm like, if you guys stop on the way, like, I'll, I will buy you guys a beer. Like, <laughs> But uh, they didn't respond. But I mean... We're kind of nobodies right now. Maybe someday. That'd be cool as hell to interview fingers those guys. Fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. But uh, Mega Guillotine 2020, uh, it, it came from uh, a tweet in 2017. This dude, at Leon, spelled L-E-Y-A-W-N. Uh, in 2017, he tweeted, I'm going to file a patent for a uh, Mega Guillotine. And basically had the schematics drawn up, and it had... Uh, the mega guillotine on there and then just regular guillotine i had the pros and cons of each it's like the pros for the guillotine is that uh sturdy it's reliable and then the cons it can only fit one congressman at once the mega guillotine is said uh pros were sturdy reliable can fit up to 15 congressmen and that uh it's uh i think the cons were none that i could think of and uh the song Mega Guillotine 2020, it's basically, what is it, Mega Guillotine, I'm rooting for you, Mega Guillotine, I'm praying for you, I'm hoping for you every day. Uh, you're not far off. It's a catchy song. They said when they were recording it, they're kind of uh, inspired by the Beatles. Kind of has sort of like a Beatles vibe where it's kind of just like poppy and Maybe catchy. Maybe kind of builds up through it. Yeah, yeah, the video. If you guys haven't seen the video yet, we did tweet that uh, and check that out. A lot of ugly mugs getting their heads chopped off. Oh, yeah, it was Ted Cruz. You got Trump. Ted Cruz. Mark Zuckerberg was on there. Yeah. That was a nice touch. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, that perjuring rapist sociopath. Uh, even uh, Andrew Jackson, who's dead. But, you know, we need to get rid of that motherfucker's legacy. He killed so many Native Americans, and he's And that's on why our... they dropped the name, Andrew Jackson Jihad. They're like, we don't want to be part of Andrew Jackson's legacy, and uh, also we're not Muslim. <laughs> well, that's a good move because fuck Andrew Jackson. And uh, I, they did kind of confirm that they're uh, Bernie supporters. Somebody... Uh, yeah, they actually did a tweet, Bernie for president, yeah. Yeah, and uh, during their AMA, uh, uh, Mark, their cello player, he said, uh, Bernie is cool, I hope he wins. And then uh, Sean, again, the uh, lead singer, he said, Sean here, yes, Bernie is the only... Is, or Bernie is the one for the job. Everyone should get out of his way. I dig it. And I mean, couldn't say it better. Get out of his way. Like, get out of the way, folks. Bernie the, 2020. About 12 of you need to drop out still. Right. Like, John Delaney, where are you at? You, did you forget you're running or something? But, uh, yeah, I think. Uh, did you have anything else uh, you want to talk about before we wrap this up? No, I think we pretty much covered everything important within the last three weeks. All right. So uh, we're actually not going to have any off-topic episodes on this uh or off-topic episodes, off any sort of off-topic conversation on this episode. Yeah. We're gonna split that up. So uh, I think probably 
I'll, I will upload this episode tonight on the 24th, and uh, probably tomorrow I will up, upload the uh, the bonus episode where we'll talk about we'll talk about AEW, uh, we'll talk about UFC, uh, we'll talk about some more music. I have a ton of new albums that have come out that I listen to. I know you just went to a Tool concert. We'll talk about that. We'll maybe talk about some TV shows and movies. So if you guys are interested in that, uh, definitely check it out. Do you have anything else you want to say before we? wrap it up no other than to just stay lit fam (laughs) stay lit fam that's a good one i like it